Things get darker, deathier, and altogether more serious as Harry enters his third year at Hogwarts. It's time to get demented with a film that took a kids franchise and made it all edgy and shit. This is The Prisoner of Azkaban. Coming at you like a beam, like a ray. Potter Week here on Film Entertainment. My name is Dan Goodridge. I'm here to lead all of you and Michael Hi. on a merry trip through the Harry Potter universe. Uh, yes, hello, Michael. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Now, this is, of course, one of the movies that you had watched. Yes. Um, prior to us starting this series, um, I believe it's the next one that you haven't seen. No, no, no. Goblet was the last one that I saw after giving up on the Correct so, Mundo, but yeah. you are up to speed with The Prisoner of Azkaban. That I am. Which is believed by many to be, well, it's, I'd say the general consensus is of everyone who's kind of, maybe the, the fair weather Harry Potter fans like yourself who maybe dropped off early on. I think this is a, a good shape for the the people's choice for the best Harry Potter movie. It certainly isn't my choice, but I can see why people would treat it as such. I see it as the movie that really turned things around for the better, almost across the board in every aspect. Um, in the same way that I, I my big problems with uh, Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets is that they're very definitely kids' movies, I think this starts to skew more towards young adult here, and I think it's a change for the better. Yeah, certainly. It's it's one that takes advantage of having the two-year break between production years, um, allowing the cast, the crew, and everyone to sort of evolve and change more and, yes, ultimately grow up. So it's a movie that definitely feels a lot darker and certainly draws, uh, as I noted in the first two uh, reviews, that it draws a lot from, from the darker sides of mythology and fiction. This is one that really goes down that rabbit hole. We really do. There's a lot of death. A lot of death. A lot of dealing with death. I mean, that's not really something you deal with in the first two Harry Potter movies. I suppose, uh, obviously, you have the the death of Quirrell, but it's not like he's just a corpse. He kind of vaporises at the end of the first one. Yeah. You have the death of Harry Potter's parents, of course, but you never see that on screen. No. It is very much a case of, you're going to see blood and stuff in this movie. Yeah, they got into, uh, they found their emo stage. Yeah, they did. Well, this one and Goblet, which will come into of course tomorrow are really the the emo sort of teenage angst stage before the final four movies really ramp it up towards you know the plot climax as opposed to the emotional climax and i think the reason um the, the kind of embodiment of this the of the darkening of the harry potter season here on out um is personified of course um by the the thing that apparently jk rowling thought of when she was dealing with depression uh, the absence of good uh, and it is, of course, Donald Trump. Oh. Well, I'm joking. It's only something slightly better. Uh, it's the Dementors. <laughs> oh, when this goes out, we might actually know if he's president or oh, not. Oh, wow, that's, we might do. That's depressing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the Dementors. The Dementors. They suck your soul out through your body. Are you sure they're not Donald Trump? 
Well, they could be. I mean, their hands are quite small. So they really are. And you can't see their eyes, so maybe they are. That implies that Donald Trump has eyes. That's a true point. Doesn't he? Has portals into hell. Um, <laughs> they are one toupee away from pure evil. Really, really are. They might have a toupee <laughs> on under their hoods. We do not know. Yes, these are the things that I remember it was a big thing at the time. Were they too scary for a kid's movie? Possibly. I, I to this day, actually still find them pretty creepy. And when, But they... That impact certainly lessens across the movies. I'll put it that way. But right here, where you know they have the ability, where they're shown to freeze, sort of the condensation on windows and entire lakes. Oh my god, that is they, very creepy for a kid's quote unquote. No, I, I think it does actually go. I, I, I much I appreciate it nowadays. If I was a ten year old when I watched this, I'd have been terrified out of my mind oh, of Dementors. The 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 way they're introduced on the Hogwarts Express, a place of relative safety. Um, and everything goes dark. You see the, the the shadowy figure walk along the kind of deathy, hand-wrapped zombie hand to open up the door and then immediately just start killing Harry Potter on the spot. They are actually really good. Like, here's, here's my... In, here's my take on horror in movies. Jump scares are cheap. Although they work on me, they're incredibly cheap and not very good. The thing that the Dementors did right is they're slow, lumbering, and you can't kill them. No. That is, that's true horror. It's something that, it's not something that just goes ooga booga booga in your face for a couple of seconds. It's something that constantly watches and creeps and moves alien-like. Yes. I really, really like the design of the Dementors. Inescapably evil. Oh, gotcha. Like, like, yeah, like I said, there's not a big bang rah, scare when they are introduced. It's literally an opening of the door, pitch blackness, a fog rolls in, and this horrible thing comes into their life. I think yeah, they, they there is a bit of diminishing returns because they're like Agent Smith in the Matrix movies. In the in the first one, it took one Agent Smith to give Neo a, a good go, and then later on, he's taking on hundreds of them. It's no problem. Yeah, uh, you get to the later movies, and they can Harry Potter can easily deal with an entire corridor worth of them. In a Deathly House Part One, we've we've just one Patronus Charm, and they are all gone. That's true. Um, but no, I think I think they were really they're probably my favourite part of this movie. I have a lot of nice things I like about this movie but I think how they were handled and how they were, de- how they were designed was a very very good start of course in the same scene we also meet um, my I wouldn't say he's my favourite character but he's definitely in the top five and that is the the Defence Against the Dark Heart teacher that everybody loves Professor Ramus Lupin not a character that, what, that have, I had to watch this again to pick up on how much I actually quite liked Lupin. He very much fell off the wayside when I first watched it, and maybe this is where my interest in the franchise actually started to dwindle. Because I really liked uh, Sirius Black, who we'll come on to later on, um, and I was just really disappointed that we were spending so much time with Lupin. Watching it again, I don't know why I thought like that. Like Lupin is a very likeable, very real character. One who who has unfortunate afflictions that, that hamper him. Uh, in this movie specifically, I don't think it ever comes up again, does it? No, you don't really see him dealing with the with the werewolf side of things. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much true in the books as well. Uh, there's quite a lot of stuff knocked out of the of, of the Deathly Hallows part of this that, that focuses on him quite a bit. Um, but no, this is, this is kind of his starring role, and I think um, David Trelawney... I believe that's his name. I think that's right. Although um, I think no, David my, Trellis, Tre- something like that. Him. We'll look it up. <laughs> Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, couldn't have been better. Um, really did bring that that character from the book perfectly into the films. Kind, loving. Um, now, obviously, you 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 learn over the course of the movie his connection with Harry Potter's parents, 
and you're essentially looking at the the kind of um, the uncle of Harry Potter, for want of a better word. He's not the godfather, obviously, that, that series, that's Blackwood. Is, yeah. Very much a, not, I say paternal? Yeah. Is that, no, is that no, correct no, phrase? Well, he's not He's not an official godfather, but he's, he is for like all intents and purposes. Like you would call your parents, friends, your uncle. auntie. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And he's the father figure that, that Harry really hasn't had in his life um, up until this point. Funny, caring, smart, wonderful wolf. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that's really glossed over in the later movies, which is a shame because I felt like it could have been played a bit more when we actually come into when Voldemort is introduced into the franchise. There's not really much done with him there. No. But for this movie where you kind of have... There's no real... How do I put this? This movie doesn't have a villain, really. No, it doesn't. I think that's the most interesting thing about this movie in that... Uh, it's one of the only ones where Voldemort is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. At all. He's he's barely even mentioned, I think, um, in this movie. This and Order are the only ones where Voldemort does not make an appearance or is not mentioned, as far as I'm no, aware. No, he's in Order. He's in Order? Yeah, you have the big fight in the Ministry. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. But no, this is the I'm this try- is the one... <laughs> I'm most... just having flashbacks from how long it took for me to get through Order. Oh, Carry we'll, on. We'll get to Order very <laughs> soon. Um, but no, he was... He was Perfectly cast, perfectly played, and and I I will touch on it later. But his chemistry with with Sirius Black really is quite wonderful. Um, we also had another debut, yeah, kind of a debut in this one, sort of. Um, in that we have, of course, between uh, just before actually Chamber of Secrets, um, was released, we of course had the tragic death of Richard Harris, who was the original uh, Dumbledore. Now we have Dumbledore Mark II. Which is Michael Gambon. A slightly different take on the character. Yeah. Uh, in that he's slightly more aggressive than, than Richard, Har- Har- Richard Harris ever was. Can I just cut back in? I've actually just <laughs> only just found um, the actor who plays Remus is David Thewlis. Ah, Trellis. Thewlis. Yeah. yeah. Demand Why do you call him Trelawney? That's actually Trelawny. a character I know, in the books. I know, I know. Okay, I'm confusing my notes. Uh, yeah, well, the, the the big question is, yeah. we're going to get to this, um, explore Dumbledore more as we go into each of the passing movies. I don't think this is his big one. I think there's, no. there's more There's more coming up with juicy stuff to be into. Definitely. But that's at this early point, Gambon or Harris? It's, it really does depend by movie. Um, because Harris's best movie is still the first one. Yes. But Gambon's best movie is not this one. No. And that's the problem. When it's time for serious action taking, this is life or death, Dumbledore, Gambon actually does a really good job. But yeah. when it's... When it's early years, Harry, the formative years when secrets are still being kept from him, Gambon doesn't do it. R- Richard Harris brings across the warmth and knowledge that yeah. Dumbledore should have had in Harry's formative years before his decisive years. And it's not something that Gambon does very well. He improves in the next movie, yes. but this one is very much a rocky start. I actually think he gets worse in the next movie. You think? Yeah. He's... He uh, straight up strangles Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Harry is a bunch of everything. We'll come to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Smacking like the Gestapo. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, I, I feel between the two of them, there was a, a, a an amalgamation you could have made for the perfect Dumbledore. Gotcha. both those ones. Because there are some scenes, the later on in the books, where he has to be serious. Especially there's one where he's talking to, um, to a Professor Snape that, that really is like Dumbledore just, you know running the rule over him and just chastising him. It's wonderful. Yeah. Richard Harris never could have done that. No. I believe Gambon really did well there. Definitely. But we'll touch back on uh, Michael Gambon's performance as Dumbledore in later movies. One thing I do want to say before we go forward, though. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Gambon's accent really wavers, and it's really noticeable. Yeah, it does. It will. He will drop into Irish at the tip of a hat. And it's, yes. It, that that's not good. It, it, I noticed it here because purely because this is his weakest performance at Dumbledore, in my opinion. Obviously, you don't share that opinion, but. He can. It, it does bleed. It doesn't bleed as as well as Richard Harris is. Richard Harris was solid. But, yeah. But Gambon tends to have ups and downs. It Con- can be kind of like the, the main characters, actually. Really. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to spend much time on the on the actors. I think I think the next movie might be a better touch point for them. Yeah. There, um, there, there are there are hints in this movie of, of of awakenings for these characters, but it's not really explored until Goblet. So we'll leave it. Sybil Trelawney. Michael, one of your favourites, isn't it? No. Really? Oh, yeah, because you wanted Emma Thompson for uh, McGonagall. I did want Emma Thompson for for McGonagall. I don't think Emma Thompson does a bad turn as Trelawney, but I've just never cared for Trelawney. No, Emma Thompson does Emma Thompson very well, which is a weird, eccentric, otherworldly character. Trelawney brings that across, but... I felt like there could have been a better role for for Emma Thompson. Not McGonagall, because I do think Maggie Smith is the right Mm. choice, especially in the later movies. But there's... There's just something that doesn't sit right with putting such a good actress in a role that's so so narrow, really. It's really only got the one note. Yeah, that she's a bit of a drunk and kind of a hypocrite yeah. and and a fraud. But but I, I like that that J.K. Rowling felt the need to point out in even even in her magical books that future telling is bollocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That you know, Mystic Meg is, is bullshit. <laughs> and should be ignored. Um, that was nice of JK yeah, to include yeah. that stuff. You can believe in dragons and stuff, but horoscopes are horseshit. Yep. Nice of you. Um, I, I I never liked you in the books. I, I never. I was never happy to go and spend some time with with, with Trelawney. And also, I don't think Emma Thompson does a bad job. This is pretty much what Trelawney was in the books. But she's no one's favourite character. No. They're not going to rush to Harry Potter world to buy um, Sybil Trelawney's wand. No, you're not. Who would have thought that Nanny McPhee would have been a better role for Emma Thompson over something in Harry Potter? I know. Bit weird, that. A tad weird. No. No, These are are fairly big actors that they've brought out. You know, you bring in on Gambon, you bring in on Emma Thompson. But then they went and got Gary Oldman. Yeah, you can't go and get Gay Oldman. Gay Oldman? It's it's a it's a thing with uh, we, we we when we're doing a lot of writing we accidentally misspelled Gary Oldman as Gay Old Man the one time. Oh wow! In Google, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Good God, no. So so Gay Oldman plays Sirius Black, <laughs> and um, and he, Gay Oldman is Gay Oldman. He's a fantastic actor. You can't have a fantasy series without casting Gary Oldman at some point. <laughs> you had to struggle to say Gary. I, I did. I did. Yes. Um, no, it's kind of written into his contract that he has to appear in every. Fantasy, sci-fi, yeah. etc. Franchise at some point. I gotta say, watching Dark Knight and then the Harry Potter series back to back is really it does something in your head because you because watching him go from Commissioner Gordon to Sirius Black, especially in this movie where he's still a bit nutty, mm-hmm. is a bit jarring. I'm nutty. <laughs> it can be, but he may have been a tad too old for my taste. Really. This happens a lot with Harry I picture him in my head as a bit younger. Yeah. But I think he does a magnificent job, especially right before the kind of the curtain reveal of he he's a, he's a good guy all along. Yeah. I, I just, when you see me like in the poster, oh my God, do I want myself photoshopped into that Where's poster? Playing the kind of crazy side of him. He really, really nails in this. One look at him and you think, oh my God, he's coming to kill me. It really is quite wonderful what he was able to do here, and then grow in further movies. It makes sense 
retrospectively, when I was watching this movie again, because I'd I'd forgotten so much of this one, because this isn't my favourite, um, I, I kind of thought it was a bit jarring to have, ah, I'm going to kill you, man, I get the rap, and then all of a sudden, I'm very serious now, Harry, I'm your uncle. Like, I'm very serious now. Ah! That pun has never been made, ever. No. Not even literally on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is a bit of a really quick tone shift. But you, you kind of get that that he's just a kind of broken man at this point. He's been demented yeah. in Azkaban all these years, and and it's kind of made him a bit fragile. But once he's got hold of Peter Pettigrew, we'll get to him in a second. Yeah. Once he's got hold of Peter Pettigrew, it kind of um, allows him then just to swift shift emotions to oh my god, Harry's still alive and he looks just like James, and I'm so I need to protect him and all that stuff. Yeah, fifty percent of his lines across his. Three appearances. Oh, you look just like your father. Yeah, just like your father. I was just getting. I was like, can we not get him some more lines from the book? I know. Surely there's there's thousands of words in these collective <laughs> novels, and we we've settled on these five. I can know. We, can we not get more? Come on, we can do it. Gary Oldman's got some range, I yeah. suppose. He he's the fun uncle, and and he plays his role very well there. That he gives Harry something of his childhood to connect to. That's true. You know what I mean? He never really gets to enjoy it because of, of you know him being a prisoner on the run. Never been able to really be his godfather like he wants to be. Feels a bit shit for Lupin that they're both equally, you know, as connected to his father as as uh, as each other, and yet Harry very much favours him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Lupin. Yeah, Lupin, who teaches him the Patronus charm, how to protect himself from literal death, and and Sirius, who says uh, we have to kill the rat. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the two like parallels. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and but immediately. Sirius Black is probably the coolest character in all of Harry Potter. Easily. Of just, like, being a badass. Yeah. You, you don't really get to see it until until Order of the Phoenix, unfortunately. Yeah. When he's fighting side by side by Harry. Oh, oh that's good. So but that, that's the scene that, for, for me, and we'll talk about... When we talk about Order, we'll talk about it more in depth, but that's the scene to me that, that legitimised the sort of I'm nutty side of him. Because I got that he was just kind of, like... A bit unhinged. Yeah, and the fighting style shows that. But in this movie, it's very jarring, even though, like you said, I still think he's one of the coolest characters in this entire series. When he when he, when he rides off on Bookbeak, yeah, he that's looks just like kind a goddamn badass right there. Speaking of Bookbeak, yeah. we'll bring it up now. Um, one of the more prominent animals from the Harry Potter franchise, and that he, he, he comes back quite a few times in the books... Um, this is only really his big appearance in the in the movies for obvious reasons. They didn't have the the budget to keep having the hippogriff running around. Um, but I think he looked really really good. Yeah, I liked it. Like considering how far we've come from the troll in 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 um, let's say season one, <laughs> the, the troll in in Philosopher's Stone to now, and how realistic Bookbeat looks almost yeah. all the time he's on on screen, really is good. Um, the, the creatures of Harry Potter. Well, this is a, in the build up to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yeah, good link. Would you say that they, because the creatures play a really big role in the books? Like I reread them recently. They're surprisingly like she's always mentioning these magical creatures, and there's quite an abundance of them. I I feel like they never went really whole hog with. Obviously, that does cut some for time. Yeah, but they were always there just for maybe one scene, and then they'd be gone. Yeah, it, it's very much, it's the Aragog problem from from, yeah. from Chamber of Secrets. Aragog had his big moments in Chamber of Secrets and when you see him again he's dead. Dead. So, you know. That it's very much I get that it's probably, you know, a budget constraint or maybe it's the the fact that that style of filmmaking with all CG mythical creatures would just literally cost too much. I, would. I I mean, you you only have to take one look at the last Hobbit movie to realize that that's that's why the previous two Hobbit movies were a flaming pile of shit. 
because all the money was pumped into doing the last battle scene mm. with all the mi- big mythical creatures. Well, yes, but I feel like um, like Hedwig is a lot more prominent in in the in the books and Shivers in the movie. It's not Would exactly. You say so? Yeah, I'd say so. Hedwig's like um, a really good emotional sounding board for Harry, like because mm. he will always have Hedwig with him, and there's a lot more. Obviously. Having Daniel Radcliffe act with anybody is a bit wooden. Having him act with a goddamn elf is even more <laughs> wooden than that. <laughs> it's something I kind of missed, and I feel like hopefully Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. This is ever such a good plug. He's gonna um, he's gonna rectify that a little bit more. That's We're gonna have thing. to spend more time with the creatures because they're in the goddamn title of the film. Yeah, they've got five um, movies with them. We better get a decent amount. But I do think, uh, as much as I wish we spent more time with them, I do think when we see them, especially once we from this point out, the CGI work, and particularly whenever they do models do look fantastic. Oh, God, yeah. The dragon in, in Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Is, is, the Horntail, you want to bet? Yes, the yeah. Horntail, the, the dragon in Deathly Hallows, uh, and many others. <laughs> even the Basilisk. And like, many more. And many more. Even <laughs> the Basilisk looked really good in the last movie. So, CGI Department, you did good. You did it. But I didn't get any blast-ended shoots, and that annoys me, Michael. <laughs> that annoys me greatly. doesn't annoy me, because I didn't read all the books. Okay, yes, right. Um... Quick thing yeah. we have to mention, of course, the Deus Ex Machina to end all other Deus Ex Machinas in the Harry Potter franchise. Okay. Well, we already have the invisibility cape, yeah, which can allow Harry to you know move through the school to further the plot, whatever. One of the main three Deus Ex Machinas. Yes. Yeah, we'll go. To, we'll but, come to that. But then you have the other one. Yeah. That I think J.K. Rowling herself has admitted kind of was a problem later on because it can solve a lot of problems. Yeah. The Marauders map. Yeah. The, the, the magical thing given to Harry by the Weasley twins that allows him to track anybody in the school, why the hell they would ever give that away is, is anyone's guess. Yeah, and why they didn't like... notice that a, a middle-aged man was constantly sat on the lap of their brother for all these years. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, so that's a thing. But um... Yeah, it's like, it's like if they had it in the past two movies, they would have seen it in their head. Oh, no, wait, no, it only works in Hogwarts, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, the no, way, no, no. The, yeah, it does only show you Hogwarts. It doesn't change, but they can use the outside. But they would have seen it. That's exactly. The thing. They would have looked at their brother at some point in the Gryffindor common room and seen him. But yeah, it, it, oh, as, yeah. there's a lot of questions about the Marauders map of why didn't they use it. But I liked it. As a concept, it's pretty amazing. As a concept, it's pretty amazing. And I also like the link it gives them to the original Marauders yeah. of, of James Sirius, um, Peter Pettigrew and, and Lupin. The kind of, you know, the, the the through line of he's just like his dad. He yeah. wants to get up to these mischief and, and kind of sneak around. Not for any nefarious reasons, really, but there is a nice connection there. But I think it should have bit the dust at some point. Because there's yeah. so many things that you could solve. Like when he was trying to find out if Snape was breaking to the, uh, the you know, the, was trying to get the Philosopher's Stone. Admittedly, he didn't have a hold of the map at the time, but he could have told Fred and He probably told Fred and George at some point. Fred and George could have looked and seen that it was... Um, What's his face? Oh, God damn it. Um, guy with the... With, the, with Voldemort on the back of his... Quirrell! Quirrell. Oh, okay. I don't know. My memory's shot. There's so many points in this movie, in this series of movies, that you think, just open the Marauder's map and it can solve everything. Yeah. Two things did come out of the Marauder's map, though. One is an idea I've had for a very, very long time. Yeah. I want... Because they, we haven't had a definitively good Harry Potter video game. Okay. I want Harry Potter, the Marauder's Years. Okay. You go back, you play as James Potter in the heyday of the Marauders, and that is your map screen, is the Marauders map, <laughs> done. Think think of it like Bully, yeah. the video game, but set in Hogwarts. 
you get to go to the classes. You've got an entirely realised Hogwarts to go underground. You can tell canonical stories because, you know, the, the, the characters are all there, but we don't actually know the nature of the stories. That's true. Uh, but you can do all that without ever touching the holy grail of, you know, messing with the actual franchise down the road. You can always do that as, as a Telltale game as well. I know you don't like oh, them, but the option is there. Idea, Michael. But the option's there. It is. I, I think that's a very, you know, a ripe place for picking because you, 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 you're dealing with familiar characters. You get to spend more time with them. And it can be canonical without messing with the with the movies. That would be wonderful. I like that idea. The second thing that's great about the Marauders map is: Did you watch the credits for this movie? Probably not, but I, I, saw, I think I saw the top of them. Because you do see it's like the Marauders map, basically. Yeah. You see the people walking around. Do you know there's something hidden in there? No, I don't. It's rather wonderful. No, I do not. And it's so famous that Sky. I've actually seen a version on Sky where they've done some editing to to get rid of it. There's a bit where they're scanning over the map. Yeah. And you go over a bathroom. There's two sets of footprints in there. <laughs> one splayed, <laughs> and the other one facing them alarmingly closely in the opposite direction together. There's people shagging on the Marauders map in a toilet in Hogwarts. And for that alone, I will allow the Marauders map to oh be a thing. Oh my god, that's awesome. Please do go look it up on YouTube. I am not lying here yet. <laughs> they felt the need to slip a sex joke into Harry Potter. Nice. Fan dabby dozy. Right, let's get to the business end. Um, Wormtail the kind of big reveal of this movie is that we all think Sirius Black was the murderer of James and Lily Potter or at least he sold them out to Voldemort and Voldemort then killed them turns out he wasn't it was Peter Pettigrew all along the wormy little bastard played by I can never remember his name Timothy Spall yes way you did one well done so proud Um, I I, I think he did well I just think he just looked so stupid (laughs) Yeah, the whole... They made him look too much like a rat. Yeah, keeping the rat features was not a good call. But Timothy Spall is a well-known character actor. I mean, I in one of my favourite movies, uh, Sweeney Todd, he plays Beetle Bamford, who's this kind of... Uh, sort of like this conniving, evil, manipulative person. So putting him in the role of Peter Pettigrew made all the sense. It works. and And not that it's... Not fun, because it's very fun to watch him sort of like try and weasel his way out of the situation he's found himself in, faced with both Remus and Sirius, years after he's caused such problems and horrible betrayal and, you know, he's still trying to resurrect Voldemort. But all of that is still not as interesting as it could be. And I think because we really are only introduced to Peter Pettigrew, the man, not the rat, at the end of this movie, we don't get to really spend a lot of time with him. And come the next movie, there are more interesting bad guys to deal with yeah. than this guy. I think he was always played too too comedic. I get. I don't think he was ever like telling jokes and stuff. But I don't think he was ever like you didn't hate him enough considering what he did. I know he's meant to be portrayed as a coward, but there's ways to make him more Weasley. Uh, and, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> but um, I, 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 as much as I don't think Tim Stall did a bad job. I'm not blaming him for this. No. I just think I didn't... Ultimately, when he meets his end down the line, you don't really feel like, yeah, get down, you little, you little weaselly bastard. No, yeah. it's just like, oh, Wormtail's dead. Okay, cool. I forgot the actual biggest deus ex machina in the entire Harry Potter series exists in this movie, and this movie alone is never mentioned again. Yep. Time turners. I thought we were discussing this earlier before you brought up the Marauders no, map. No, because the Marauders map is, is very useful, but it doesn't break anything. Yeah, like the laws of time. Oh, I have gone on record many times 
that if I could change anything about 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 the about, you know popular culture in general, it would be to almost outlaw entirely time travel storylines because they are never ever um, um, competent enough. So basically, to make we're, sense. we're only allowed the three: Back to the Future, Terminator, and Doctor Who. That's it. No, we're not having Doctor Who. Hey, the entire no. show's based around time travel. Uh, we're having otherwise. Back to the Future, The Terminator, and Days of Future Past. And okay, that is all. You start messing with time, and all problems become unnecessary. You know what I mean? They, they never really... They, they do like the little throwaway line of, oh, but messing with time can mess up your head, and if you get caught, something bad will happen. But then you think, well, why couldn't they have gone back in time and saved Harry Potter's parents? Why couldn't they have gone back in time and changed... Literally anything. Yeah. There is a big mess of time turners in the Ministry of Magic somewhere in the next... Well, when we get to Order of the Phoenix, why didn't they turn back time to go and save Sirius? Why hasn't Hermione been turning back time this entire time to help people? Why did Hermione Granger, a third-year student, get a hand on what is potentially the most powerful object ever introduced to anybody in Harry Potter? Yep. Oh, Voldemort doesn't mind messing with the rules of time and space. Why didn't he go back in time and not shoot Harry in the face? All of these questions... All of them, just for a simple little thing where they get to have a little bit of jiggery poker near the end to go and save Buckbeak and save Sirius. That's essentially the entire purpose of introducing that, is to save a hippogriff and have an excuse to bring Sirius Black back. That, as, as much as like when, you, when you're going back through those sequences, like, oh, everything is self-fulfilling prophecy because they have to go to what they've seen. I'm like, that's the most boring version of time travel where you have to literally get everything to line up otherwise you break everything. Well, that's that's the Back to the Future model. Yeah. Is that it already happened, kind of, sort of. And and, and that's an okay way to do it. And I think if, if you take this as an isolated story, outside of the normal problems we're trying to tell a time-changing story, I think it works fine. It just then you go past this and always in the back of your head they're thinking, they have a way to alter time. Why are they not using that to its absolute fullest advantage? It's ridiculous. And they, But this thing, they don't even write. I don't think they do it in this movie. They do it in the books. They actually write the time-turners out at one point. They go to the Ministry of Magic where all of the time-turners are and they kind of blow up the room. Oh, right. And there's this really wonderful bit where a Death Eater gets his head stuck in like a in like a vase full of these things as they explode and his head goes back to being a baby <laughs> whilst he's still a full-size man. Which is kind of wonderful. Obviously, that would have been too, like, you know, gross out the fly type level stuff for a kids' movie. But still, hate the time turners. Don't do this. Don't be lazy. Back to the Future, The Terminator, and Days of Future Past. The only ones allowed to do it. And even then, only the first two Terminators, none of the other ones. Yeah. Uh, right. So I'll, I'll ask you the question again. Um, as I, as, well, I'll, I'll change it slightly. Where does this rank for you in terms of at least the Harry Potter movie we've seen so far? Yeah, I think the problem with with most of the early ones is they are, they are obviously going to rank lower down um, because, purely because the movies do tend to get better and better, sort of. This one and another notable movie are kind of an exception. I actually really enjoyed this movie, watching it back. And since it's the movie that I had to restart watching because I didn't have such a strong memory, I actually thought this was a nice one to start on. I think really there's a lot to take from this movie. It's very enjoyable. I think this one definitely stands the test of time better than the first two, which do yes. very, feel very dated to the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. This one, I I was looking up when it was filmed. I was like, oh my God, this movie is old, but it doesn't show. No. I was Admittedly, yes, I was watching a Blu-ray copy, but it actually kind of feels timeless, which is what you want for a franchise like yep. this. You want it to be forever relevant. Um. 
So yeah, this one sits pretty high up in the tables. It's got to be said. I think this is a comfortable halfway one. I, I'm I would put this near the top because I, I think it it was a big turning round point for the franchise. It gave me hope that they can actually be good Harry Potter movies. It's still not as good as the book, but of course none of the movies are as good as any of the books they're based on. And there's still things missing. Um, we didn't even get to talk about the werewolf, of course. The werewolf, um, I, I think, looked too thin. I wasn't yeah, really a fan of very the design. Yeah, I, I wanted it, more, you know. <laughs> Coming from, again, uh, recently, not recently, but just a few months ago, playing Bloodborne, a game which is sort of based in gothic horror, and seeing a spindly werewolf, all I could, all I was doing was like, in my head, I was just mashing the R one button. Like, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Nice, because because yeah, shit be crazy in Bloodborne, and this very much reminded me of that. His transformation's quite cool. Yeah, I really they quite full on American werewolf in London of just like showing you up as a person. Going, yeah. Um, one one little thing before we we round up. You know what else I really enjoyed in this movie? Go on. The transitions, and that's a really stupid thing for me to say, but it's a big fucking point for me in the movies to come, because. Um, Oh, no, wait, no, this is the movie where I hated the transitions, isn't it? I yes. Is this the one where everything just kept circling in on Harry's face and going to black? Is that this one? There is the final This is the one shot... that's directed by the guy who directed Gravity, right? I think so. Yeah, fuck this movie's the, transitions. The final shot of it is literally Harry Potter's face on the back of a book, but going, yep. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, fuck this movie's transitions. This is the one that pissed me off the most. This is like, this is George Lucas-level love of a shit transition. No, but shit transitions work in, in Star Wars. It wouldn't be Star Wars without shit transitions. But yeah, in Harry Potter movie, no, yeah. quite harder. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's it's in the upper echelons. It's probably the best like self-contained story of, of the of the because all the movies based very high, heavily on you know especially as we as we get towards the end they very much have to play into each other. They're all one big story. This feels more isolated. You have got good character work from Sirius Black. I love um, I love Ramus Lupin. He's one of my all-time favourite characters from the books. I'm so glad they did him very well. Werewolf aside, yeah, um, and and it leaves in a nice, exciting place. We know we now can have death. We can now have scary elements, uh, and we can now start to really move that that kiddie tone of fart jokes and buggers. That that's nowhere to be seen from here on out. So yep. that's a big old thumbs up from me. Yay. Plug away, Michael. You can go to foulentertainment.com for more of this and everything else. We are slap bang in the middle of 30 days of stuff uh, in the middle of this. Harry Potter week actually taking over quite a lot of these 30 days. Woohoo! So uh, you can go and check out all the previous articles and podcasts if you want to. You should go and find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud and Minds using the, foul, uh, the username... Fowlient, that's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. And if you really want, you can go and find me on Twitter at that Mike Owen. Darren. You can go and find me on Twitter at the Guthrie. You can also go check out ProWrestling.net to check out all of my wrestling articles over there. Um Yeah, I think that's me. That is done. us done. Uh, you can also go listen to, of course, our other podcasts, such as uh Gotta Cast and More episodes. Uh, a review of Doctor Strange and many, many more back in the archives. Three down, Darren. Three down. W- one more to go in the movies that I'd seen before. Oh, and then we're into uncharted territory. Of course, yes, if you join us back here tomorrow, if you haven't listened to the other podcast and you thought I'm going to jump on with this one, do, gig- do go give even Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets of Go. We had real fun uh, recording those episodes. And yes, come back tomorrow when we'll be talking about The Goblet of Fire. Spoiler alert. Darren's favourite Harry Potter book. Oh, but come oh, on now. Enjoyable. Right, we will see you all tomorrow on Harry Potter Week. Bye!